Why Access Matters, a podcast by Accessibrand. Thoughts and talks about accessibility. Accessibility and identity, two small words for such big and far-reaching impacts. What do you think of when you hear it? Since our inaugural episode in June of 2022, Why Access Matters proudly and happily brings you thoughts and talks about accessibility every last Friday of each month. And we invite you to listen to our first season if you haven't already. It's available on various platforms. All of our episodes to date are independent and don't require prior listening. But the more you hear from our guests, the better you can learn and grow alongside us and our many wonderful guests who talk to us about the all-important concept of accessibility. Now that you've thought about what accessibility means to you, let us also ask, what does the intersectionality of accessibility, diversity, inclusion, and belonging to a minority group mean to you? Do you think accessibility has any link or connection to these other concepts? To better understand how important it is to break down barriers and address societal openness to inclusion, I talked to Alison Tedford Seaweed. Allison is an Indigenous relations consultant based in Abbotsford, BC. She specializes in storytelling, speaking, staff training, and strategy. Allison has more than a decade of experience in the government sector where she worked on culturally sensitive data, storytelling, policy analysis, and program development. She has years of private sector experience in impact storytelling, Indigenous relations, communications consultation, and staff training. In this conversation, she shared her valuable thoughts and experiences regarding her commitment to working alongside Indigenous communities, people, and cultures to create transformative change and its intersectionality with her lived experience as an entrepreneur with a disability. Why Access Matters, a podcast by Accessibrand. Thoughts and talks about accessibility. So thank you, Allison, for joining us as our next podcast. Oh, my God. Now I have to start all over already. See, <laughs> we'll have to edit everything. So thank you, Allison, for joining us for our podcast. Um, I'd love to start out by asking you to introduce yourself, please. Thanks so much for having me, Jolene. Uh, I'm Allison Tedford Seaweed. I am an Aquita woman living on the traditional territories of the Masque and Samath First Nations people in what's known as Abbotsford, BC. Uh, and I'm really excited to be joining you today. Uh, thank you. I was, no, we were having this little quick conversation before we started recording, but we met through someone through business related, uh, you know, social media, because we both have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. I think you also have hypermobile type, or do you have a different type? remember I believe it is the hypermobile type but I'm doing some genetic testing to confirm yeah I don't know if I'll ever get to that part but uh, I did do the blood work at one point and they ruled it out but I guess a hypermobile has uh, a gene marker now so it's after the fact of my diagnosis so I'm hoping that comes to light so I'm glad we could have met and we're both in the marketing space so I'm so excited to have you here today on our podcast and we'll just jump into the next question if that's okay with you absolutely Awesome. So in your bio online, you have highlighted how you have brought your experiences 
as an Indigenous person working towards reconciliation to many roles, and in particular, your expertise in the public relations domain of storytelling, speaking, strategy, and staff training. Um, These experiences you felt ultimately led to your fabulous book called Chronic Profit, Building Your Small Business While Managing Persistent Pain. How do you feel about all of this? Any thoughts? Um, It's just been a really wonderful opportunity to be able to share some experiences with other people who might be either wondering about if their chronic health challenges might preclude them from starting a business or if they have a business and they're, you know, newly identifying that they have some areas where they need to accommodate themselves in their existing business, having all other perspectives, I think can be helpful. And when you're trying to brainstorm how to make things work. Yeah, it certainly is a challenge knowing that you and I have things in common, um, having a chronic illness and, you know, running a business. I felt at my point, I needed to be self-employed still because of having a chronic illness. And maybe you feel the same because uh, typical employers really don't know how to accommodate it. And often we're invisible. Uh, We don't always show our pain and other issues. So I'm really grateful that you've come out with this book. Thank you so much. It was really um, awesome because I got to integrate a lot of perspectives, not just my experiences, but also other people who have chronic health challenges or service providers who have um, supported people with chronic health challenges. So that was definitely um, great to, so that it isn't just my ideas around things. Lots of smart people came to the table. That's amazing. And you have other books I believe you're working on or have done? Uh, I, um, after Chronic Profit, I released a book called Stay Woke, Not Broke, and it's about inclusion in business more generally. And just last week, I released um, the Canadian Business Owner's Guide to Reconciliation. And uh, separately, I co-wrote a textbook with a nonprofit partner um, called Create to Learn. Oh, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. It was, it's been busy. I had no books before 2020 and now I have a number of them. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's so great. I'm glad you could tell us more about it. I'm, I'm sure that we'll be linking on our webpage in your podcast. So we'll make sure to for, have people look out for the links and how to purchase those books. Thank you. So going on to our next question, uh, we'd like to ask, Why do you think accessibility is essential for society and not just for people with disabilities? Um, It's not just, it's like, it's not doing disabled people a favor or persons with disability, depending on how people prefer to identify, but really it provides, you know, business owners and organizations, the opportunity to learn from different perspectives, Um, you know, from people who are used to having to innovate on a daily basis and be flexible with, you know, fluctuating challenges and variables. And, you know, that brings, you know, a level of problem solving and also just a different life experience to be able to connect with um, clients and customers who have uh, similar challenges or even to just be able to see the services through a different lens. Yeah, definitely. I know we often talk um, in our podcast and even when we're advocating is, people don't realize a lot of things that were created for accessibility or persons with disabilities are things that we use every day. So we like to often put that out that it's not really just for people with disabilities. And I think the general public that don't have experience, they don't understand that. 
And there's a lot of examples I know with technology in particular that we're using every day, like closed captioning, you know, well over 60% or I can't remember the exact percentage of people watching videos don't actually use sound. And so it's really beneficial for everyone, not just for uh, people who, you know, have disabilities or need the different types of accessible technology. Uh, Absolutely. I think everybody wins um, when things are more accessible. 100%. Absolutely. What do you think your message is to people who don't know about accessibility? Uh, We find that often people seem to be afraid of it. They're threatened with lawsuit litigation, things like that. But what's your message to people when you start having that conversation about accessibility with others? Um, I really try to think about it as, you know, being able to more effectively welcome people and include people and really looking at like what's possible and not just like, what do you have to do, but what could you do? Uh, You know, the regulatory requirements are important, but, you know, I try to look at ceiling our policy is like, it's a, the floor, not a ceiling. Like we can do things that are outside of what is absolutely required and be creative about how we welcome people. And some of the things that we can do don't necessarily have to cost money and things can be implemented over time in, in a progressive way. So taking that same growth mindset that you take to many other areas of your business and applying it to um, how you approach accessibility is some way where you can start this journey of being able to welcome in more people. Yeah, definitely. Um, is there any type of advice you give people who ask how to start? Um, I think that it's really good to look at, you know, what are the needs that are are not being met? Like, who are the people that you see and who are the people that are not engaging with your business? And what are some of the barriers and being able to reach out to people and, and find out, like do some market research around how come they choose solutions that aren't you? And are there areas that you could um, make changes that would allow you to invite more people into your business? I mean, if you're finding that you're just not seeing a lot of people with a varied life experience, there might be a reason why your message isn't resonating or getting through. And it's good to look at if, if it's important to you, um, finding ways to connect uh, more effectively. And you're in BC, so your legislation has just changed. I think you guys are at the beginning of where Ontario is at the end of our uh, AODA or Accessibility for Ontarians with Disability Act. Is there anything that you've noticed already with the the new changes in your legislation in your province? Um, I was involved with uh, co-facilitating some sessions for prescribed organizations through an organization called Untapped Accessibility. And it was really great. Um, One of the things about the legislation that I appreciate is that they require that um, accessibility committees include Indigenous representation. Um, So I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities to look at disability through an intersectional lens and think about how who we are intersects with our um, healthcare experiences and our experiences accessing services in the world. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure there's lots of new and exciting ventures happening. Um, I've met a few different people. We have a couple of clients out in your province as well. And it's interesting to be able to compare the differences and and see the journey. But I also see that people have been looking beyond their province and they are taking cues, even though we may be in a different level of legislation, they're trying to go above and beyond in the people that we have already met. So 
that makes me happy because I remember when AODA started, it was a very different conversation with clients and potential clients than it is right now. So that's great to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's lots of opportunities there to have important conversations when people are gathering intentionally to discuss accessibility and to reflect on what could be helpful and and what kinds of barriers might exist from multiple perspectives. Yeah, definitely. I think so going on to sort of our next question, referring to what we were just talking about, about uh, the vitality of accessibility. Do you think there can be any special roles for people with the intersectionality of disability and coming from other marginalized groups to be champions for our society, to make our society more equitable and more accessible? I think that, you know, when you come from a perspective of somebody with lived experiences where, um, you know, maybe the world has not been necessarily set up for you um, because of who you are, um, it, it definitely brings a different perspective to, um, you know, to be facing often multiple barriers and also having, you know, multiple experiences around different ways to advocate for oneself. Um, on a number of bases. So I think it often brings like a, a, a broader range of advocacy experience and uh, just a different way of, of looking at things because um, you know, who we are can really impact um, how we access services in the world. Um, even if we have the same condition um, or um, support needs, um, who we are can really um, make a difference around how accessible those supports can be. Um, and so there's a definitely different perspectives that, that we bring to the table. Do you see anything in particular that could be done or advice that we could give organizations where they can integrate that more? Because a lot of the times when you see the mandates, you know, people just say, oh, I want someone with a disability, but then having that that cross-section of the intersectionality, race, gender, background, all of that. Is there anything that you would like to see done differently? Um, I think it's just really important to look at, you know, like um, no identity is like a, a monolith and really looking at if you want to be able to reach more people and you want to effectively engage with more people, then um, it's good to look at um, who you have uh, available to, consult with and and how you integrate perspectives that um, are from life experiences that are really different from yours and to see it as an opportunity and a relationship and not just a ticky box for legislative compliance because ultimately you know having these committees is something that's required but you know the relationships is something that's what supports the uh, sustainability of those initiatives. And we have to be intentional, not just to recruit people, but also to be able to retain them. Yeah. There's just so many different viewpoints and perspectives from all walks that we, we really have to take into consideration. You know, like you said, even if we have the same condition, we haven't experienced things the same way. And there's varying degrees to every disability, every, you know, life experience doesn't matter. You know, we could grow up with a different type of background and you know our parents had totally different jobs if they were immigrants if we're not um, I think it's really I'm very hopeful that more and more committees and organizations will look at those criteria rather than just sort of like you said ticking the one box 
but not looking at all the pieces underneath because everyone's experience is so different. Um, and they're sort of their, I guess their experience with accessing equitable information or services or technologies, it, it really is so variable. We, and the census and the data that even the, the government has laid out, it's behind, like with COVID especially, look at how much has changed with people's illnesses, long haul COVID, you know, those those statistics aren't the same as they were when they were done. The last one I found was 2017. So there's there's lots to learn and lots to to take into consideration for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what is your advice to, I'll say EDI, but it should be using acronyms. So equity, diversity, inclusion, accessibility activists to support more in accessibility because a lot of the times, you know, the EDI or EDNI or IDEA doesn't often include accessibility. Do you have any advice to other activists? So people who are already involved in equity inclusion, but maybe don't talk about accessibility. Um, I think that, you know, if you're somebody who's looking to um, create change around a social issue, look at how accessible your events, your information, your your uh, the components of your campaigns are um, so that if you want to include more people who can be supportive of what the change that you're trying to make, they need to be able to access it. So they need to be able to attend your events, they need to be able to understand your materials and um, to be able to participate. So I think it's really important to just reflect on, you know, the, the many identities that your supporters um, and allies may may um, have lived experiences of and um, reflect on, you know, and, and I think we can come from a place of empathy. Like when we know that we felt excluded on a certain basis, you know, just think about that um, people with disabilities have felt in- excluded, um, you know, on that basis. And so we have some common experiences to draw from and we know what that feels like. And so, I think that it's good to reflect on that when we're thinking about, oh, okay, and we need to consider accessibility for this, that it's just like, you know, just like we would hope that, you know, when disability activists are looking to create change that, you know, we might want to also look at like, well, what are the intersectional dimensions of this, you know, the location, the the venue, the um, transportation available, you know, all of the dimensions of planning something or designing content, you know, that we would treat other activists in the way that we would like to be treated um, would be how I would look at it. I know that I've met uh, several people in the industry and in the field, and often they don't realize that, you know, accessibility, and I talk about accessibility, obviously, because that's what we focus on, primarily digital accessibility, but you know, we talk about equity and inclusion, but we don't talk about the disability part very often. And so we've been helping a few over the last couple of years, uh, you know, firms and, and independent contractors integrate that in. So I'm hoping that that's a bigger topic of discussion because it even happens in uh, disability tech. They don't often think about, they're trying to create a product for um, people with disabilities, and obviously those products will turn into something hopefully that everyone will use, but they often don't think about even the digital accessibility side, not because they're trying to leave it out, but often it's just not thought of. So we really are trying to push that as part of, you know, like criteria that people need to follow. So 
I'm wondering how we could bring that to light more often to people. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I think it's just really important to talk about, um, you know, the things that make our life more accessible, like to normalize that, you know, people need different things. And I mean, it's something that I'm learning a ton about myself around even accessibility of eBooks and how they're not necessarily like, I, I had always seen them as of adaptive technology, but um, you know, there are limits there too. And so I think that like, we often just don't know what we don't know. Yeah. And uh, the more we can share about our experiences and the tools that make things easier or the dimensions that make something more accessible, the better, because I think we're all kind of on a learning journey and, and it's, it's an area that's, you know, advancing very quickly um, as much as sometimes it, does, it feels awfully slow when yeah. you don't know what you need. Um, but there's always so much happening. So um, yeah, the more that we can talk about accessibility and um, products that make things more accessible um, or services that are delivered in a way that's more accessible and we normalize that that's, that's something that, should happen and and should be normal then i think it's uh going to make things a lot easier for a lot more people yeah i i like what you said about we don't know we don't know we often discuss that because i was in that same same position i was a graphic designer for a long time and had no idea about digital accessibility or you know color contrast and things like that it just wasn't part of my teachings so i think it's it's you know when people find out about it not to feel guilt is that try to, like you said, embrace it and understand it and integrate it. There's no 100% perfect. Uh, we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. It's about the learning journey. It's about taking the time to understand it and making it part of your checklist and part of your teachings and integrating it day by day. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that, you know, it's something that we build capacity towards. And yeah, it's, I mean, we're all doing, I feel like we are all, we are all doing the best we can with what we have. And uh, the more that we can share with each other, the better we'll be able to help each other. I'm hopeful for the same thing. That's awesome. Um, so one of our last questions, as Indigenous cultures have a truly different insight about persons with disabilities, we'd love to hear from you in this regard. And this episode will be published um, as the fifth and the last episode of our second season on the last Friday of May 2023. Uh, which will be an advanced episode to celebrate and appreciate the month of June as the National Indigenous History Month. So we're wondering your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of different um, factors at play. I mean, in terms of Indigenous health, um, there are what we call social determinants of health that impact somebody's level of wellness. And so an Indigenous person's experience with disability may vary based on those uh, social determinants of health and those are like the, the social conditions around, you know, resources and support within community. Um, and so it's important to kind of understand that that um, Indigenous experience of disability might look different um, or maybe um, felt at a different level because of um, inherent challenges uh, that come from intergenerational impacts of colonization. Um, another aspect is just to consider, I mean, there's so much diversity within indigenous um, communities in terms of their uh, cultural beliefs, worldview, languages, 
um, that there isn't really like an indigenous perspective on disability. There's so many. And, and sometimes the um, assessment of something being an illness or um, a disability is, is a matter of perspective. If somebody is existing in a cultural environment where there isn't a barrier, right? Like if there isn't um, uh, a sense of urgency, uh, then an inability to multitask wouldn't be something that would be necessarily an issue. So we just have to reflect on the conditions that make how we are um, more challenging or how, how, how we are um, is often shaped by the environments and, and how we experience things. So just being open to the perspective that something that we see um, from, from our own cultural background as being a, a barrier or a limitation, you know, somebody else might not consider it. So even just whether somebody is disabled or not is a, you know, a matter of opinion and just being mindful to not privilege your own worldview around, you know, who is disabled and who is not and, and who has the right to speak to um, their own experiences. So I think that um, there's a lot of opportunity to learn from each other cross-culturally. And I think that it's important to reflect on how all of these aspects of our lives contribute to our experiences with respect to health and wellness and the way we function in the world. Yeah. Is there resources readily available on more about the topics of what you've talked about that we could share on, on our website? Um, I know that there's an indigenous disability group. Uh, I'll, I can send you their social media channels. Um, they provide a lot of information about uh, supports and resources that are available to uh, Indigenous people uh, with disabilities, and um, that um, might be something that's helpful. Yeah. If you can think of anything, I'd love to be able to share that with this episode. And so our viewers and listeners can certainly take that and, you know, make it a point of educating themselves. I know that I've learned so much and I have so much more to learn. I don't think it, we ever stop learning. And I don't think we should ever stop learning because it makes us all better at the end of the day and uh, more, you know, acceptable. And there's just so much to learn. I think I get overwhelmed every day. And just in the short time that I've experienced disability, there's so much more to understand because none of us experience life like the next person whatsoever. So thank you for sharing that information. And hopefully we'll have more resources to be able to share as well. For sure. Yeah, I recently acquired some books on cultural safety and humility in healthcare, and that can be really illuminating around Indigenous people's experiences with with wellness, you know, particularly around pain, uh, you know, for Indigenous people where sometimes there's an assumption of, um, you know, substance use, you know, when you're going to a doctor to talk about pain, you know, somebody might make an assumption around, you know, your desire to access healthcare mm -hmm. right based on how you present um racially and so I think it's really important to keep that in mind and and to be able to um advocate for each other 
in those situations. Yeah. I, I know the journey that I went through just for my diagnosis, um, being that, you know, just the fact that I was female and, oh, you know, it's midlife. Oh, it's, you're too stressed. Oh, it's that, or all oh, it's in your head. And I, I don't know what your journey was like, but you know, it's, it's been, I think it took about four or five years before I actually got someone to finally take me serious. And I think I was lucky that I had a louder voice for myself that I pushed to advocate and many other people don't do that. And I hope that they can reach out to, you know, people like ourselves that have bigger voices because it is a journey and it's very difficult. And then, you know, you put in intersectionality or, you know, different backgrounds into it and it's even a harder fight. Um, so it's important that we can, you know, stand up for ourselves and sometimes you have to push the system a little bit. It's important to do that, but to be generalized based on how you present is unfair. And unfortunately that is a lot of the healthcare system that we see all the time. Yeah. Was, uh, but I'm encouraged by the number of health authorities that are looking at developing programming around cultural safety and humility. And it seems like it's a, it's a conversation that's happening now. And um, I think that can only be a good thing. Yeah. Definitely. Making things more accessible. So kudos to everyone doing that important work. Yep. There's lots of people out there doing really, really important work. I know that we are lucky now to have a great group of physicians and supports in place. They listen, they've learned from us and they've decided that we have a voice too. So we're very fortunate, but many people aren't that lucky. So it can be a very difficult journey to getting there. But Absolutely. I would love to know if there's anything else you'd like to add or chat about. Um, I can't think of anything offhand. I just really appreciate you, appreciate you bringing attention to this issue. I find, um, it's, I mean, we don't know what we don't know, but so often we think about accessibility in terms of like elevators and ramps and we, we don't always understand, um, the complexities, but I think for people who might be feeling a little bit nervous about, approaching um, making things more accessible. A lot of what goes into identifying how to make things better is pretty basic customer service mm -hmm. around like, how can I help you and what do you need? And having those conversations can help you solve some of these problems. Um, so if you have ever interacted with a customer and asked them what they need and how you can make their day better, you're, you're already off to a good start. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's always a difficult conversation. Uh, you know, people don't know how to approach it if they, you know, they see someone with a disability that's, you know, a visible one for once. Um, you know, obviously for me, I've interacted with a few different scenarios where I've used my accessible parking pass on a bad day and I was accosted by two lovely but elderly people who mm. were very adamant that I didn't have a wheelchair and so I shouldn't be in that spot. And, you know, it's a dual pass because my daughter having dwarfism, she can't walk far either. And so it's, you know, there was an older generation. So mm -hmm. we need to have more conversations about, you know, invisible and how people approach and, you know, think about things before we say other things. And I have to admit, as much as I was taught to respect my elders, I did educate them and I was a little abrupt, but you know, I think they're important conversations. And the more we chat about this openly and things like podcasts and websites and, you know, media that we can share, 
hopefully we'll have a more equitable uh, world where people don't see the differences based on ability. Um, you know, it's my hope, especially for, you know, my family, especially with my daughter being so small, um, she will be four feet. People also automatically think that she has a developmental disability because of that. So the lack of education, you know, I had those biases before too, but the more we can do to learn and just be open, like you said, just start by asking instead of, you know, trying to shun your children from pointing, ask them to come up and say hello, you know, especially if it's something very visible. Um, we've been lucky to, to not have a lot of negative interactions, but as my daughter gets older, there's certainly been a lot of things that we wish were not happening, but the more we we just have to do more conversations like this, I guess. And, you know, more articles, more about your writing, things that we can share. And hopefully people will learn from that and, you know, see things differently. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Allison. I'm so glad you could make time out of your day to chat with us on our podcast. And we'll be sure to link all of your information on our website. Thanks so much. Thank you. Why Access Matters, a podcast by Accessibrand. Thoughts and talks about accessibility. Hello again, everyone. I'm Jolene from Accessibrand, and I want to thank you for listening to the 10th episode of Why Access Matters. You just heard a conversation that I had with Allison Tedford Seaweed. Indigenous cultures have different perspectives regarding persons with disabilities, and we would love to hear the voices, thoughts, and feelings of the Indigenous community. In solidarity with the First Nations and Indigenous Communities of Canada, this episode has been published in advance to celebrate and appreciate Canada's Indigenous peoples as we approach the month of June, which is Canada's National Indigenous History Month. Please take a moment to reflect and focus on these highlights and ask yourself some questions. Allison mentions that accessibility allows people who are used to innovating and being flexible to bring their high problem-solving skills and different life experience to their capacity to connect with clients and customers. Sorry, I'm screwed up by the, the wording. Do you or someone you know have experience with bringing such flexibility to work and or to an organization to you or their benefit? If yes, please share your story with us. We would love to hear about your experiences. She emphasizes the importance of our perspectives, actions, and environment. Allison encourages viewing this as an opportunity for building relationships rather than just tick boxing requirements and highlights that while having committees for diversity and inclusion is necessary, it's crucial to be intentional about not only recruiting people from diverse backgrounds, but also retaining them. Can you name any instance of such approaches around you or experiences you have had with intentional inclusion that has affected an organization or a company for the better? Additionally, consider the ways that you can contribute to building and sustaining relationships that support the long-term success of diversity and inclusion initiatives. Change starts with each of us. And last but not least, Allison discusses how social determinants of health impact the experience of disability for Indigenous persons. She emphasizes that diversity within Indigenous communities and how cultural beliefs, worldviews, and language shape perspectives on disability. A part of this is the encouragement of open-mindedness towards diverse perspectives on disability and the acknowledgement of intergenerational impacts of colonization on Indigenous communities. 
There is a vital opportunity to learn from each other cross-culturally and to reflect on how various aspects of our lives contribute to our experiences with health and wellness, including their barriers and disabilities. Do you plan to learn more about reconciliation and what such a thing involves? Have you ever considered researching, learning, teaching, and community building, or did this episode make you consider doing something? If you're thinking about it, June is Canada's National Indigenous History Month, and there are lots of programs and activities that would be perfect opportunities to learn more and listen to Indigenous voices. Fundamental to this is an acknowledgement of the territory we, settlers, occupy, and a commitment to active decolonization and relationship building in our efforts, which will foster community openness and empower more Indigenous people and allies to advocate for a better and fairer society, which will become all equity-deserving groups, including but not limited to persons with disabilities and Indigenous peoples. Well, we've reached the end, and I'm Jolene McDonald from Excessive Brand. Thank you for your patience and time in listening to me, my colleagues, and our special guest, Alison Tedford Seaweed, in our fifth episode of the second season and the 10th episode overall of Why Access Matters. The next episode will follow this upcoming fall, but in this break, please send us your thoughts and ideas. Follow our podcast and podcatchers like Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or any other platform you listen to podcasts on. Follow our fabulous guests on LinkedIn, and don't forget to introduce us to your friends, family, and network. Please also consider checking out our website if you need any accessibility services and would like to utilize the valuable lived experience and expertise of persons with disabilities. You can visit us at our website at www.accessibrand.com.